Well, good morning, church. Uh, I just want to, um, before I get into the message, one, it was good to take a little break and uh, just go visit my mom uh, and, and my family in Indiana, just two hours directly west. Uh, no big major changes, no mountains, no oceans, just a lot of more cornfields, more bean fields, and, you know, some Amish, you know. They, hey, they wear masks too. Did you know that? It's on the top of their head, but you know what? This is online, and I'm going to get in trouble for making that comment, so I was just having fun. Please, no emails, no nasty things. Um, anyway, it was good to be away and good to be back, but as I got back, um, I, I will admit I needed that away, because here's why. I've struggled the past three weeks here at church. Um, I love coming to this church and leading and pastoring, but the last three, four weeks have been challenging. And I think it had to deal partially with the whole mask thing, okay? Um, I think it's partially that. When we had to take communion a week ago with the little cups, uh, the creamer cup, that was, that was the break heart moment for me because I'm used to tradition. I'm used to, this is what I grew up in the church with. I'm used to passing the offering, or, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the communion cups and then the bread and, and taking bread. I mean, I'm used to that. And so when you change things up and then, you know, the mask mandate comes out and then it's like, I'll admit my heart was, poof, but I'm trying to like keep it up because I'm leading. So, uh, but I'll be real with you. And it was challenging. And then this past week, um, I, I had to go get some pea gravel. So I loaded up my cart with 15 bags of pea gravel. I don't even know how heavy those bags of pea gravel are. They're extremely heavy. 15 bags of them are extremely, extremely heavy, okay? So I'm like pushing this cart, and I'm thinking I should have just drove a van around and loaded them up. That would have been too easy, okay? But I'm like, no, I'm going to man up, right? So I got my mask on, and I'm pushing this cart, and I'm going, because I'm like, I can't breathe with that mask, and I'm breathing heavy. As athletes, we know we don't play with anything over our mouths. We have to breathe freely, right? So I'm pushing this through, that. I'm going, I can't work hard, and, and I'm probably going to pass out. Somebody's going to come along like, oh, look, pastor passed it out by pea gravel. That would be a great headline, right? And so I'm thinking, I don't want to be that guy. So I whip my mask down. I'm like, I'm just going to make it through here and whatever. And then I realized part of my struggle the last few weeks is I've not been able to worship freely. So I told this in first service. I said, listen, we, we said there's a mask mandate. We understand that. And we've told you that. But whether you come in or do not come in with a mask, that's on you. I love you regardless. And I hope you don't judge each other, whether somebody's got a mask or doesn't have a mask or does or doesn't, whatever, okay? Love and unity is what I've said in this church. Love and unity. As we look at each other, if you've got a mask on and you feel you need to wear that mask, please wear the mask. If you're like, I can't breathe, I need to take this off, then take it off. I felt suffocated in a, in a sense of not being able to worship the last three weeks. It's hard for me to mask or to sing when I've got something covering my mouth. And I'm a singer. And so this morning, I was like, you know, and I know many of you have not been wearing a mask in worship. And that is so fine with me. Please hear that, okay? I want you to worship. That's why we open up these doors, to come and worship God. So I want to make it clear from my standpoint what I've struggled with. So I just want to say I understand your struggle if some of you are where you're at. And, and listen, again, no judgment here. Love and unity. Love and unity. Let's function that way. I want to freely be able to sing as loud as I can and not be muffled in my 
my words to the Lord. So I just want to let you know where I am on that. Um, I, and, I, and I hope it's clear. Love and unity. Be patient with each other, please. Be patient with each other. Um, again, I'm ready to move forward. You guys ready to move forward? Let's do this. Um, we are starting a new series. So I'm going to ask you this question. What is your favorite adventure story? Okay, think about it. Kids, I know you got all kinds. Does it involve a treasure hunt, a wilderness uh, excursion? Does it include a Jedi or a musketeer? I don't know. Does it, is there a spy or a secret agent in your little adventure story? Or is it about, you know, the, the hero that rescues the fair maiden in distress? Um, what is it? What does it look like? We all have our favorite adventures, right? And there are incredible stories and adventures in the Bible. Now, understand this. The ones in the Bible, though, are not for mere entertainment. These are true stories. That's why we're calling them adventures. It's more than entertainment. It's more than history. When you look at Scripture, this is what's going to happen. When we read these adventures in here, you're going to uncover who God is. And you're going to uncover his plan that he has for all humanity. And you have to understand, there is an adversary. Every story, every adventure has contention, right? A, a, a point, a breaking point, some, something that just comes up and butts heads. The Bible has that. We have an adversary, adversary who wants to take us out. God, who is love, who is truth, wants to rescue us. And he shows us that in this incredible adventure. So we start at the beginning of the Bible... Pastor Paul started last week in Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to go as well. So open up your Bibles to Genesis 1. Or if you're on your iPad or phone and you've got it there, open up there. Or if you want to check the screen, I will occasionally put some of the scripture up on the screen for you to follow along. We're going to discover some not just incredible, cool stories. um, We're going to discover that God is always the main character. No matter who you look at in in these adventures... Oh, it was Adam, it was Noah, it was Moses, it was Jesus, it was Paul. You know, those are great characters throughout Scripture, but it's all about the main character, God. So let's not miss that every time we open up to discover an adventure. So Genesis chapter 1, Pastor Paul got us going last week, reading the adventurous beginning of all things. God creates light, and then the sky and water. He creates land, sea, vegetation, sun, moon, stars. And then he creates the fish and the birds. And finally on day six, animals and mankind. And he's done, right? After each day, God said it was good. Let me hear you say it was good. Let's do it again. It was good. So he creates the moon, the stars, and he goes, it was good, right? And everything, it was good. Now, the last day of creation, however, it says that God said it was very good. Let me hear you say very good. Oh, yeah, very good. We've gotten to the end now. It wasn't just good. This was very good, right? Let me ask you something. What can you make, um, if you look at the picture on the left, what can you draw? Now, some of you are really good. You can make a masterpiece like the picture on the right. That's a masterpiece. But some of you get an easel and you start creating something. What are you going to create? What is it going to look like? The point is, we'll give you the tools. With the tools, the easel, the, the paints, whatever you may have, You can create something, right? Let me ask you, I'm going to give you another thing. Here, what can you create with this? Oh, I'm sorry, it's nothing. What can you create with nothing? Nothing. Good answer. You are smart people. Very good. Here's the thing about God. God takes nothing and he made the universe. 
He made galaxies. That's what we're talking about here. When we went through chapter 1 that Paul took you through, it was an amazing thing how we understand that Genesis 1 teaches that God is creator of all things. And he did it with nothing. That is amazing to me. An almighty creator who is responsible for the existence of this universe. This is what he, he talked on last week. We are created in God's image. And that we are created with purpose. Those were his points. And I amen all those. And that's where we're picking up today. Because in the very beginning, chapter 1, it says what? In the beginning, what? God. Right? Now, the name of God is Elohim. Elohim means supreme one, mighty one. From the very beginning of the adventure of reading the Bible, we are introduced to a God who is supreme over all other gods. He's a mighty one, an almighty one. And it's important for us to understand this because when we're going to get introduced into the scriptures, into the adventures of the Bible, we better know who we're dealing with. And it starts off with saying, we're dealing with the one and only supreme God, Elohim. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our what? Maker. He's the creator of all things. Now, if I were to take this word Elohim, the name of God, and look to search in the scripture, and I were to share verses with you that has that name of God used, it would take a long time. Over 2,500 verses in the Bible use the name of God, Elohim. Throughout scripture, it isn't just sprinkled at all, it's covered. God is supreme. But I will share two verses with you. Psalm 100, verse 3. Acknowledge that the Lord God, Elohim, he made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 40, verse 5. O Lord, my God, Elohim, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I try to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. This First thing we learned about God is He is Elohim. He is the highest. He is supreme. This is so important. I want to, you know, just keep running this through. You understand. He is the designer. He is the ultimate creator. He made you. He made this world just as He planned. Therefore, we can trust Him. This is the God we're talking about. Now we get to chapter 2 in your Bible. Chapter 2 continues creation is completed. Day 7, God rests. Well, he commanded us the Ten Commandments. I say he gave to Moses and the children of Israel. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, right? He didn't just talk about it. He did it. He rested on that seventh day. But then he goes into detail of chapter 1. Oh, yeah, God created all these things, and it was good. And then it was very good. But what exactly was that? So open up your Bibles, chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says here, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. This is beautiful. For many of you who are working gardens or fields, you're plowing, you're disking, you're shoveling dirt. God takes his hands and pulls together a pile of dirt, and then he breathes his life. The word of God, the breath of God goes into this pile of dirt and creates Adam. Oh, please show me. Who in this world can do that? Nobody, because God is what? Elohim, supreme, right? 
continue on. The chapter continues to explain how God planted a garden in Eden filled with incredible amounts of vegetation. Verse 9, it says, Trees were beautiful. They produced delicious fruit. But in the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So man is created. He's given a job. He has purpose in the garden to tend it, to take care of it. Verse 16, though God says, you may freely eat fruit of the tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So still detailing chapter 1, Adam is alone in the garden, and it is good, right? So God decides, you know what? This isn't so good after all. Matter of fact, he says, it's not good. Why is it now not good? All this was good, 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 good. But then God says, no, you know what's not good? You're alone, Adam. You need a helper. You need somebody suitable for you. So we learn in verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused man, Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. Verse 23, wowzers, he said. Well, or something like that, or at last, or it's about time, or something. He was blown away by the fact, because again, it's not like he stands in front of a mirror and say, hey, I'm a man. This is what a man looks like. And then a woman's like, oh, that's a woman. He had no other idea of what other mankind looked like. He was the only man. And now he's got a woman, a beautiful woman standing in front of him. And he's like, whoa, that's better than an elephant. That's better than a giraffe. That's better than, you know, we can go on, right? And he's looking at her and he's like, this is incredible. And then God has the first marriage ceremony takes place. We read on. It said, Adam goes this, he goes, This is one, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Life is good in the garden. But here's the problem, church. This has been a great adventure through creation, but now comes the point of contention. Now comes where the adversary steps in. Now's where we have that point of the story like, uh-oh, we got a problem, right? And in the Hallmark movie, it's when somebody oversays something in front of the other person and they all get upset with each other, right? Now, this is worse than that. Check it out. Verse, oh, actually, before we get into chapter three, you got to help me out here. Okay, a little time for participation. We used to have this saying, well, actually... When I say the word serpent, I want you to boo, okay? Now, children, I understand your parents probably said, you're not supposed to boo people. Matter of fact, in the school I grew up in, we had a big sign above the scoreboard that said, win or lose, skip the boos. And not the boos. The boo, okay? So win or lose, skip the boos, okay? Either one would be good to skip. But anyway, win or lose, skip the boos. So I was always raised as a kid, you're not supposed to boo people, okay? I'm going to ask you to do something for me. When I say the word serpent, as I'm reading in scripture, and I say serpent, I want to hear you say boo. So let's try it, okay? Ready? Serpent. Boo. That was awesome. That was perfect. Okay, so let's pick this up. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent... See, some of you already fell asleep on me. I got two words. I got two words in the scripture, and you're like, oh, that was me. I missed my line. Now I know who the theater people are in here. Okay, let's try this again. The serpent. Better. Was. Sorry. I heard one of the kids in the back. That was great. Was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. 
one day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit of any trees of the garden? Verse 2, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's the only fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent, replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband, who was with her. He ate it, too. Verse 7, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame on their, at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, we'll stop with the booing because I'm going to be saying serpent a lot in the next few minutes, okay? So we're going to, we're going to be done. All right, okay. Just getting that out now. All right. The text here, now I know as we're reading this, the text here itself clearly does not say the serpent is Satan. Okay, no, you don't have to do the booze anymore. But Actually, I really don't care if you want to because he's a loser anyway. Okay, but the rest of the Bible makes it very clear that Satan is a serpent. In Ezekiel, I'll give you two scriptures. Ezekiel 28, 13 to 19, and Revelation 12, 9. In those two scriptures, we discover that Satan was in Eden. Satan is referred to as the serpent of old. He is the devil. He is Satan. He is this, uh, speaks as the dragon. Now, we may not understand everything in this part of this adventure. Like there's a snake-like serpent. Is he crawling on his belly or not? We don't know, but we're assuming probably not because later God curses him to crawl on his belly. So what does he look like? We're not sure. How can a serpent talk? Well, that's we're not too sure on either, but we're learning a lot of amazing things in the Bible that are true, okay? But we do know this. It wasn't so much about whether or or how this all happened, but what was said. And we have to understand this is truth. Charles Spurgeon said this. There was a real serpent as there was a real paradise. There was a real Adam and Eve who stood at the head of our race and they really sinned. And our race has really fallen. Believe this. Believe this. Satan entered Eden and he tricked Adam and Eve. Even, you know, you think about Satan's effectiveness, how he can be so cunning and so crafty. That's the way he works. This craftiness, this, this coming in and twisting things and changing things. Here's the thing, church. Understand this. Because he is who he is, we can't outsmart him. But we can be victorious over him. Amen? So let's remember that. We don't know how Satan took on the form of a serpent or spoke from the serpent. All we know is what he said was wrong. And that's what we're going to look at next. His first attack was leveled against the word of God. He said to Eve, he goes, now did God really say this? How often have you been reading something in the Bible, you have a conversation with somebody, and you're like, hey, did God really say that? You know what that all is. It's just doubt being introduced, right? See, if the devil could make Eve be confused about what God said, or doubt what God said, then the battle was partially won by him already. Satan tries to undermine God's people by undermining God's word. 
He can get us to neglect getting into God's word, but he can also get us to doubt God's word. It's an effective tool of the devil. So we think about this and say, did God really say to this as far as you must not eat of anything in the garden? Well, Satan actually took God's command found in verse, I'm sorry, Genesis 2, 16 to 17. It's not on the screen yet. In Genesis 2, 16, 17, God said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And Satan twisted around. Does God really say it? And he took it and reversed it a little bit. He rephrased it in a purely negative way, basically saying God won't let you, won't let you eat of every tree, will he? God won't let you eat of every tree. God pointed out one tree, right? But Satan's like, man, he won't let you eat anything, will he? Parents, I'm sure you've never heard this one before. Hey, my friends are going to go do this. Can I go do this with them? No, you can't do that one thing. But you can do all these other things. You never let me do anything. I'm sure none of you have heard that phrase before. You never let me. I never get to, right? Maybe you've heard that, maybe not. Here's the thing. Students, because I know you know this to be true, you're asking for one thing. And your parents said, no, you can't do that one thing. But you can do these 100 other things over here if you want. Doesn't matter. You said no to one thing. And the focus becomes that one negative. Although there's hundreds of positives, right? And that's sort of what goes on here. Satan's like, Eve, did you just notice this one thing that God won't let you do? Oh my goodness. God gave them the whole garden. And that's what we could focus on. But no, Satan's sort of changing things around here. He's pretty cunning, isn't he? Eve replies to this. Her knowledge of what she should do is partially correct. If you look at the scripture on the screen, it says, basically, she misquoted what God commanded to Adam. The command was, you must not eat it. If you do, you'll die. What did she say? You must not eat it or touch it or you'll die. She was close, but she added some stuff in there. And that's the problem is today is a lot of times people add things to God's word. People start questioning God. Did God really say that? I think he might have said this and we start adding in other things. Now we could say this isn't fully Eve's fault because, hey, this could be partially up to Adam as well, right? God spoke this to Adam to begin with. Adam, did you relay that message on Eve? I absolutely did. I wrote it down, word for word, gave it to my wife when she got home, right? Men, we do that all the time. We're like, we get home from work or vice versa, and we go to our spouse, and we have fully communicated every single thing that we went on during the day, right? We never miss a beat, right, men? Yeah, if you don't want a rib shot right now, I suggest you remain silent, okay? Everything you said will be held against you right now. Truth is, guys, we aren't the greatest of communicators, Like, oh, I forgot to tell my wife that. Oh, I forgot to tell so-and-so this, right? It happens, right? I wondered, did that happen with Adam? Adam, did you clearly communicate to Eve? Because God said it to you. Did you tell Eve that that one tree, or did it get lost somewhere in translation? See, here's the thing. We don't know. We can speculate. We can blame people. But let's not go there. Eve replied, and that was probably her first mistake, was getting into a conversation with the devil. Satan effectively has laid the groundwork here. He drew Eve into a discussion with him. He planted the seed of doubt about God's word. Did God say this? 
And then he exposed Eve's incomplete understanding of God's word. Well, he said, don't, don't touch it, right? Never said that. Now he's going to move in for the kill. He's going to use an outright contradiction of what God said. He tells Eve this, you won't die. Really? See, Satan first wanted Eve to forget all about the consequences of sin. Oh, you're not going to die. I won't. No. Yes, you will. God said it. So Satan's trying to like, let's, let's, let's not think about the consequences. See, if we get in trouble for something, if we make a mistake or something, we get in trouble. But you know what? If I can forget about the consequences of my sin, I'm most likely going to commit that sin. If there are no consequences for my sin, I'm probably going to go out and do it more often, right? But there are consequences for sin, and Satan doesn't want her to remember that. In his direct challenge, he tries to get Eve to doubt the goodness of God, too. Here's the thing. If God lies to her, how can God be good? In Satan's direct challenge, he tries to get Eve to doubt the badness of sin. Sin ain't that bad, right? If this fruit is something good for me, then why doesn't God want me to have it? Wait a minute. God's holding out on me. Do you see what Satan's doing here? Church, this happens all This doesn't happen in the Garden of Eden. It happens today. It happens now. When we get into conversations and thinking that our mind race in directions that shouldn't race. Ezekiel 28 is going to tell us a little bit more about Satan because here's the thing. What he does next is this. He says this. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, here's what Satan does. You're going to be like, well, actually what I wanted to do. I wanted to be like God. And God knows that if you eat this root, you're going to be like God. That's exactly what Satan wanted. Ezekiel 28, as I started to say, tells us Satan before his fall, he was an angel of the highest ranking. He had prominence. He was even possibly something that of a worship leader in heaven. He was close to God. Isaiah 14 tells us Satan's fall had to do with his desire to be equal or greater than God. It says this, I will ascend to heaven. I'll set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high God. See, Satan is sitting there going, I want to be like God. I want to be God. I want to be in charge of everything. His pride was big. That was his downfall. And now what is he telling us? You want to be like God, don't you? Don't you want to make the calls? You decide for your life. Listen, God doesn't care if you do that. You be the God of your life. And that's what's going on. The tragedy of the story unfolds that Eve basically surrenders to temptation. In the book of First John, John even tells us what's going to happen with mankind. Listen to what John says. First John chapter 2, verse 16. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers you only a craving, here it comes, for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. They're from the world. Isn't that what the world chases after today? Pleasure, things that our eyes look at. Oh, that looks good. Achievement, pride, right? Look Look what Eve did. She gave in to the lust of the flesh. She saw that the food was good for her on that tree. Then she gave in to the lust of the eyes, the pleasure of the eyes. 
And then she gave in to the pride of life. It was desirable to make one wise, she thought. Satan contempt evil. I'm, I'm, Satan contempt Eve, but it was up to Eve to still make the decision to come through. It wasn't like, oh, the devil made me do it. No, she still has to take responsibility for her decision. A lot of us say, well, it's not my fault. I was tempted. The devil made me do it. We're still responsible. You know who else was responsible in this adventure? Adam. Where's Adam in this? When Adam ate, he was not deceived as Eve was. He took it from her and he's like, yeah. He already knew what God said. He did it wide-eyed open. He didn't have to be deceived by Satan. He was openly rebelling against God. The unthinkable happened. Disobedience against the almighty God creator. Chapter 3. Let's read starting in verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman who gave it to me, the fruit, and I ate it. Here comes the blame game. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it, the blame game. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Verse 17, and to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. Verse 20, then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life, and eat it? Then they'll live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending him out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard away in the tree of life. So we have this Garden of Eden. We have a perfect and beautiful place. It was a paradise for Adam and Eve. And then Satan sneaks into the picture. Here comes the contention. Here comes our adversary and destroys what Eve and Adam have. And now sin enters into the world. Now the adventure continues because God says, Now I begin my rescue plan to redeem and rescue all of mankind. Because of one man's sin, I will be rescuing all of you. And this is just the beginning of the adventure as we read through the Bible. But this is where it begins, and you need to hear this at the outgo, at the very beginning, because of two things. God is Elohim, and God is Jehovah El Atmeth. 
meaning God is supreme creator and God is truth. From the very beginning of the adventure in God's word, we need to understand who is supreme and that he is telling the truth. And that our opponent, the adversary, will always try to distort truth, try to discourage us from truth, try to keep us from understanding what God's word says. We're living in a time that is definitely challenging, whether it's the economy, whether it's a virus, whether it's the handling of our attitude, our anger. But it all comes down to this, church. How we define God dictates how we live and behave. If God is supreme over all, if God is all truth and we can trust him, then whatever comes our way, we can handle. Whatever comes our way, we can, as a Christian, be a light in a dark world. If God is who he claims to be in the Bible and we believe that to be true, it will direct how we act. But if we have faulty thinking about who God is, we will have faulty thinking about his word and the lies will take us down. Past week, I had a, a, a college student contact me and said, hey, I'm now at college. I'm already at this, um, it's a state school. And, I'm, and I've got uh, somebody I've become friends with. They're an atheist and there's also a Muslim. And they have all these questions for me about Christianity. Can you help me out? Fire away. What you got? So we FaceTime, and she'd sent me a list of about 12 questions. Questions that, for example, like, um, how do we know the Bible is true? Was Jesus just an amazing guy or like a prophet like Muhammad? Um, what are, and it's a few other things, but here comes that one that always comes out. If God is such a good God, why does he send people to hell? Why does God send people to hell? Now that question I stopped and I, and I said, here's, here's a problem with that question. That question presumes that God is an evil God. I mean, in that person's mind, they have already defined God as an evil God, a dictator God who hates people, right? I mean, the question is, why would God send people to hell? So we are already presuming because our minds have been twisted and lied to that God is not a good God. That's not truth. That's a lie. Matter of fact, you go into scripture in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 9, you'll understand this. It says, God says, no, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. See, God, according to scripture, doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. He wants everybody to know him. But see, somebody's already twisted it. And so now when we ask questions, we're asking twisted questions. A faulty understanding of God will lead to faulty living. What we need to know is true about God. The other name for God that I was sharing with you, El and Meth, is God of truth. Two scriptures, real quick. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Psalm 25.10, all the paths of the Lord, all are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Proverbs 30 verse 5, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Hebrews 6.18, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we have fled to him for refuge and have great confidence as we hold the hope that lies before us. 
Scripture tells us God's supreme, God is true. God is supreme, God is true. Church, why am I saying this? Why do we begin the adventure here? Because if God is not supreme, and if God is not true, the rest of the adventure in the Bible, you will have a hard time believing. We we can't go any further. When I start talking about a God who parts waters to walk through on dry ground, it's like, how can that be true? We've got to come back to what we just learned here. What's the first thing that Satan's going to try to do? Cause doubt in your mind. I don't think that could really happen. It happened. And we believe that. Jesus said, he was, he's talking to these religious leaders. He said, you don't believe me because you are the child of the devil who is the father of lies. You hated the truth from the beginning. See, God is truth. God can be trusted. And Satan just wants to mess things up. Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. How incredible would that have been? They're just going for a stroll. God's there in a conversation. They were a threat to Satan. So what can Satan do? I've got to mess up this relationship. I'm going to break him up. And it happened, right? But then God started the redemption plan, the rescue plan. Church, I don't know about you. I hope I'm on Satan's radar. I hope I'm a threat to him. I really do. We all should be a threat to Satan because we speak truth. If you're not a threat to Satan, then what are you doing for God, right? How well do you know God's word? Are you in the truth? Are you walking in truth? Do you trust God who is true? How many, I don't know how many of you like board games. How many of you like Monopoly? When you play Monopoly, you play with fake money, right? Can you imagine somebody in here taking that Monopoly money and going to the store and like, I want to buy this? And they're looking at you like, that's not real. Okay, obviously you can't use board game money, right? But there is counterfeit money out there. And people who work cash registers, the FBI, other people in places who work with a lot of money, they have, in the banks, they have to be able to spot counterfeit money. You know how you spot, uh, spot a counterfeit? You know the real thing. You know the real thing so well that when something shows up, you know it's not real because you know what the real thing is. It's not that you've studied the fake, you've studied the real thing. So when some fake shows up, it's like it's obvious this is not real. Are you following me, church? This is how you discover something is counterfeit. You study truth. You want to know what is counterfeit and what is true in your life right now? When things start popping up in your mind, this is where it begins, church. Lies that start coming into your mind. I'm not good enough. I'm not loved. God can never care for me. God would never save me. God would never forgive me. I'm alone. I I just can't do this anymore. Who's telling you that? That doesn't sound like the God of the word that I know of truth. Know what is real. Get into God's word. Sin enters this world. Satan attacks. He tries to deceive us to gain victory. But God is truth and he reigns. He is victory. And we need to remember that truth. Truth always wins out. There's a gentleman by the name of uh, K.A. Ranjith. He's a teacher in a school in India. One day he got on his, on his motorcycle and um, he put on his helmet, rides seven miles to his high school. He got to the high school took off his helmet, and he found something in his helmet. You want to know what it is? Yep, there it is. It was a poisonous snake. 
inside his helmet. He rode seven miles to school with that snake on his helmet right next to his head. Didn't know until he took the helmet off. They took him to the hospital right away to examine him to make sure that he had not been bitten. Well, he got the good news. He had not been bitten. He took the helmet and he burned it and got a new one. He, you know, yeah, maybe they got the snake out. I'm not trusting the helmet anymore. I'm getting a new helmet. God wants our mind to be focused on him and in his truth. And the enemy, the serpent, the snake will always try to lie to you. Always try to attack here first. No truth. We can fight the lies that come our way. We can try to have positive thinking, great mantras and poems. My, my boys heard me say it all the time. Inch by inch, life is a cinch. Yard by yard, life is hard. Right? They're like, yeah, Dad, thanks. Motivational pops. Okay. But then there's another one I heard, and I like this one. As you're going through life, whatever your goal, keep your eye on the donut and not on the hole. Oh, I like that one too. That's a good one, right? So maybe if I have a good mantra, that will help me fight all this negativity and lies. I got it. I'm going to do, I've heard this called the swing set theory or the swing set action. What do you do is you pitch yourself on a swing set. You go back, you think of all the good things in your past that you were thankful for. And as you swing forward, you think for what you're hopeful for. Ah, God has blessed me. I look forward to this. Well, that's a good exercise to help you, right? Above those two methods, let me give you the, the ultimate thing. Pick up truth. Be familiar with truth. Phrase garbage in, garbage out. Worship team, you can come on up. Garbage in, garbage out is a phrase that people have often used. Like whatever you listen to, whatever movies you watch, if, you, if you're watching bad stuff, bad stuff's going to come out. If you're hearing bad stuff, bad stuff's going to come out. It's a phrase many people have heard, garbage in, garbage out. We always fo- focus on the, well, don't let that negativity get in. Church, listen. How about we focus on the positive, on truth? Truth in, truth out. Truth in, truth out. I want to encourage you to make sure that you are constantly in God's word. Immerse yourself in his truth. He is supreme. He is true. And the lies that have come your way over the last couple months, I'm not good enough. I can't be loved. I'm alone. I've really messed up and I can't be forgiven. Those are lies. Because God is a God of truth. He loves you. You are not alone. He has rescued you. He has redeemed you. You are saved. You are his child. So live in victory. Live in truth. Amen? Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. God, when we look at this adventure of creation, that you are creator of all things, you are supreme, it helps us to know that the one in charge is big and able to handle whatever comes our way. But then we doubt and we wonder like, well, yeah, I know he can create all these things, but there's something going on in my life right now. I don't know if he can handle. He's supreme. God, you are supreme. God, forgive us for letting us give into those moments of temptation where we've fallen prey to the whispers of the evil one. God, instead, let us hear your voice. Let us soak ourselves and immerse ourselves in your truth. God, I thank you that we are not alone. I thank you that we are forgiven. I thank you, Lord, for when we think we've messed up so bad that we can't be forgiven, 
you forgive us? But we need to ask for that forgiveness. We need to seek you. So God, this morning, wherever we are, whether watching online or in this room, God, we come to you and we admit our sins to you. We confess them to you because you are a holy God. In those moments of doubt, God, fill us with truth. Fill us with hope. Fill us with encouragement, Lord, to take every day as a new day to live for you, to dig into your truth, to live for a supreme God. We love you, Lord. Work in our lives, Lord, as we sing to you. In thy name we pray. Amen.